Hello, everybody, and welcome into the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about what's going down in the NFL. We'll be touching on Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. We'll be shifting to the NBA offseason. We'll be discussing a little bit of college sports, especially with basketball ramping back up, and we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, everybody, and welcome in to an absolutely loaded show on this Black Friday, of course, the day after Thanksgiving. And if you're an NFL person, you have a Thanksgiving tradition. You have the Cowboys and the Lions and a usually an intra-division game these days. They're usually throwing in Raven Steelers or they're throwing in, you know, Patriots Dolphins whenever they're good. You know, they always throw in an interconference game or in a division game rather to try and spice up the marquee because either the Lions aren't great or the Cowboys aren't great. Both aren't great. But since they decided and were willing to play on Thanksgiving when nobody else was, they will forever host two of the three Thanksgiving games. Speaking of those games, and we're going to touch on all three of the time slots in this segment, the Cowboys officially every fan of the Cowboys I know they're quote-unquote America's team every fan of them should be rooting to lose every game the rest of the season I I, I pretty much sounded the alarm we're gonna sound the alarm for Philadelphia I'm gonna talk about them a little later but you should officially be ringing and hoping that the next time you play football which is against the Ravens who we'll touch about a little later you lose that game and you lose every other game on your schedule. Look, it's not as you just not good. Mike McCarthy's not the right coach. I hope that this was the game to show Jerry Jones he made a mistake. Look, billionaires don't often like to admit mistakes, especially ones as powerful as Jerry Jones, Stan Kroenke, or other powerful owners in sports. Steve Ballmer, the Clippers, rich men with a lot of money who took big risks to make their money. Like Jerry famously plunged the oil fields until it was dry and he was getting his credit card cut because he had no more line of credit and he had no cash. And he basically bought the Cowboys on margin. That, I mean, when you got a guy like that and Jerry Jones, who everything he touched since buying the Cowboys for about a 20 year stake was gold. He draft picks were great. He tapped Jimmy Johnson, who led him to a couple Super Bowls. He pulled Barry Switzer out of college, who led him to a Super Bowl. He fired Tom Landry, which elevated the Cowboys profile, because even though Tom Landry is a top seven coach of all time, he was far past his prime. And Tex Ram didn't have the gall to fire him. And so Jerry Jones has struck oil on everything, to speaking literally, has struck oil on everything he's decided to do in terms of football for the Cowboys for 20 years. That time has passed. I think it's time for Jerry Jones to relinquish the control of the team every day to Stephen Jones. I think Stephen Jones' first move needs to be to hire the first Dallas Cowboys GM in who knows how long. They need to hire a young GM, a young active president of football operations, and allow Jerry or Steven to just be owners. Gerald Wayne Jones can still have his weekly talk show. He can still do everything, but the day-to-day decisions 
need to no longer be in the hands of Jerry Jones. They were embarrassed on Thanksgiving. They ran a fake punt. When your defense was rolling, you're on a fake punt on fourth and 12. That actually would have worked. Now that I have seen the diagram of what it was supposed to do, it would have worked. What happened was when they did the reverse, the receiver came around the field blazing and looked like he was meant to sell that he's going to run, but he didn't have to sell it. There was a receiver wide open. He had to flip it within a 10-yard radius, and the receiver was by himself and could have gotten the first down and possibly flipped the entire perspective of the ball game if they would have completed that first down. Unfortunately, they didn't, and within short order, the game got out of hand. Washington ran away and hid with it, and the look on Jared Jones' face said it all. He looked like he was over this season, over this team, and he's looking at a lot of guys. He paid a lot of money, and none of them seem to be coming through. He gave Zeke $90 million. Yet on fourth and inches twice, he doesn't touch the ball. You paid Demarcus Lawrence $100 million. I didn't see him much. You paid Jalen Smith earlier. It's one of the top linebackers. Didn't see him much. Seen a lot of seen a lot more Leighton Vander Esch, especially early. The offensive line you pay a lot of money to all fell apart and got injured. I mean, the best investment so far Jerry Jones has is the draft pick many thought he wasted in CD Lamb, adding a strength to a strength. He seems to be the only person really producing, and he had two big drops yesterday. That being said, the Cowboys have a lot of work to do before they play Baltimore. Now, moving on to the, well, moving forward, I guess, to the first game of the day with Houston and Detroit. Those are two very talented quarterbacks on that field. Deshaun Watson has a little better team. He's a little better quarterback at this stage of his career, and that's why his Houston Texans won. It was a fumble fest early. I believe there was four turnovers, including three fumbles and a J.J. Watt pick six in the first quarter and a half. After that, the team that seemed to settle into a rhythm, seemed to settle into the flow of the ball game, and they became a pretty good game after that. Came down to the end, although the decision was final, probably about five minutes left in the fourth. Detroit made it interesting late, but those are two very talented quarterbacks on that field, including Deshaun Watson, who Max Kellerman lauded as the second best quarterback in the AFC. I mean, I tend to not disagree. Deshaun Watson is a very, very good quarterback. Most people say, what about Lamar? I mean, what about Lamar? That's Baltimore's problem, in my opinion, is that they have weapons that Lamar can't seem to hit on a consistent basis. If you have a situation like, think about it, Justin Herbert's too young. Deshaun Watson's far more dynamic than a Big Ben. All the other great quarterbacks seem to be in the AFC. Joe Burrow's against too young. So when you have a situation like that, Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is the young question number two in the AFC in terms of the quarterback position. So when it comes to a situation like that, the Houston Texans are in a good space in terms of the quarterback position and will be developing from there. I think the Texans need new new things at leadership and new ownership. I think that they need a new GM. Obviously, they got Romeo Cornell, who's a good coach, but at this point in his career, he's 73 years old, so I don't think he has the ability to lead them into the future for a long time. And so I think they need to give Deshaun Watson some more help. Now, moving on to the what was supposed to be the third window, which was Raven Steelers. But before we go into that game, I'm going to backtrack and talk about Detroit for just a second. The double standard is real. I'm not one to just flat out say, oh, look at that double standard. You fired Jim Caldwell 
for going nine and seven in consecutive years and saying that nine wins wasn't good enough for the Lions. He fired him. And yet, in this situation, Matt Patricia's been there, I think it was his fourth season. He's yet to win seven games in a season, and yet he seems to still maintain a job with the Detroit franchise. Look, they need to apologize to Jim Caldwell. They need to reevaluate how they hire coaches and the standards they put in place. Maybe they learn from getting rid of Jim Caldwell too quickly and saying that it takes time to build something, but Caldwell was doing that, and they decided to move on from him. But, and we're going to move on from them to the Ravens and the Steelers. Oh, what's supposed to happen? And then the Ravens had a massive COVID outbreak. The had a strength and conditioning coach, which seems to be at this point patient zero. He was disciplined by the team for not wearing a mask, for not wearing his contact tracing ring, amongst other things that he did not follow NFL rules. And he did a self-discipline in order to attempt to reduce the punishment if and when it happens by the NFL. Due to the COVID outbreak, the game was moved from Thursday to Sunday. Cool. Great. You just make a four-day week, a seven-day week, no big deal. Unfortunately, the Ravens kept testing positive, and in the situation that they kept testing positive, you've got guys like Calais Campbell, Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, and others that are constantly testing positive, and so the game was again moved to Tuesday night, which shoves the Ravens and the Cowboys game for supposed to be next Thursday to next Sunday. And so we'll have Tuesday night football again. So that's a big one. That's a big whoop. That's a big win at the fact that there is Tuesday night football. You can never really get enough NFL football. The Steelers were not the Steelers were not happy. This is the second game of theirs that has been moved due to another team's COVID issues. And so they were not happy, but I'm sure they would be okay with the result being able to play. Now speaking a little bit on a couple of last week's games the chiefs and the raiders i predicted a chiefs slaughter fest and i was incorrect it came down to patrick mahomes being great or the raiders defense being bad they had a lot of holes in that last drive including the last one which travis kelsey stood in the middle of waved his hands in the end zone and caught a touchdown pass so the chiefs really took advantage of the raiders and other two defensively but they did not have an answer for the raiders offensively when looking at the Raiders, they struggled a lot in terms of defense, but they were able to play offense in terms of they were able to control the ball, make a lot of moves. They were able to really pound the ball through the Chiefs defense and allow Derek Carr to look arguably his best on one of his best games of his career. And so we can keep Derek Carr comfortable and you can keep Josh Jacobs rolling. And they did their best to keep that defense off the field. But ultimately, the Chiefs just had too much offense, or the Raiders had too little defense, playing a basically prevent defense all game, trying to keep guys like Tyreek Hill and Miko Harmon and stuff from going deep. They were basically going to give Travis Kelsey whatever he wanted. They were going to give Tyreek Hill all the slants he wanted. Clyde Edwards, he laid on all the anger outs he wanted because you want to keep those 70-yard touchdowns off of the scoreboard. And they play a Bucks team who... In Chiefs speaking, who those opportunities will be given next week. As we've seen in the next game we're going to talk about, which is Ravens, Rams, and Bucks, excuse me. The Bucks secondary can be had. 
We know this. We know this already. It's young. And when that pass rush doesn't get home, Jared Goff looked very comfortable. Asked Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Both went for 10 catches, at, at least 10 catches, and at least 100 yards on that Bucks secondary. Now, as for the Bucks' perspective, there was the formula to beat Tom Brady. Rushing with four, play good enough defense to knock off the timing of the receivers, and you have a chance at beating Tom Brady. You have a very good chance at beating Tom Brady. Eli did it twice. The Broncos used to do it all the time in the AFC Championship game. You've got a best, you've got a very good chance of beating Tom Brady if you can get home with four, not having to take anybody else out of that secondary. Because if you pull anybody out, Brady's gonna see it and Brady's gonna take advantage of it. He seems to like Antonio Brown. At one point, Antonio Brown and Cooper Cup felt like they were going catch for catch. He's struggling on the deep balls. He's missed his last 19, and it doesn't look like he's going to turn that corner this week versus the Chiefs defense that I'm sure is going to want to keep those big-time receivers out of the end zone on deep passes. So we'll definitely be looking forward to that when the Chiefs and the Bucks play this week. And now shifting into the rest of this week's game, we're going to start off with Monday Night Football, Philadelphia, and Seattle. Now, this is a big game in the NFC in general. Seattle was trying to keep pace and now with a Rams team that seems to have caught fire. And they now lead the NFC West and could put Seattle as the fifth seed or even the sixth seed having to play road playoff games, all road playoff games, in an attempt to get to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Because being a wild card team condemns you to the road. Because unless a lower seed wins and upsets the team above you, you will not host. And then pretty much the odds of you hosting a playoff game as a wild card team is fairly slim to none. And so it's a huge game for Seattle. For Philadelphia, it's a huge game for everybody in the organization. I mean, with Dallas losing, Washington has a pretty tough schedule. Philadelphia is going to be in the middle of a gauntlet. So them being able to win a game on Monday night could could reinstill confidence in Carson Wentz. It could reinstill confidence in Doug Peterson. Howie Roseman could be on the hot seat as well. They don't have Lane Johnson, which is going to allow Carlos Dunlap and that new look Seattle pass rush to really get home on Carson Wentz. And that's something they're going to have to avoid. Look, Wentz is struggling. He leads the league in turnovers. He's not having his best year by any means. And so watching this game is going to be huge for them to try and figure out how to get things done. Now, shifting to the Titans and the Colts. Look, that's going to be a huge game in the AFC South. Obviously, those two are the ones fighting for the AFC South division. Again, like I said, divisions are huge because if you don't get a division, you're going to be condemned to having to come out and win the Super Bowl playing all road games. That is very hard to do, especially with an aging quarterback like Phillip Rivers. You want to try and keep him in a dome. And when a situation like Derrick Henry and the Titans are in, you want home field advantage because run games and defense do travel. You would just prefer they don't. And so that is huge to try and get a wild card team instead of trying to play a division winner. And because it's not the NFC, you don't have an NFC East champion to play as a division winner or as a wild card person, I should say. You want to try and play as many wild card teams as you can before you get to anybody else that you have to play. So that would be a huge game to watch. If I had to pick a winner in that situation, I would definitely go Titans. 
I just have more faith in Ryan Tannehill, Mike Vrabel, Derrick Henry than I do Phillip Rivers. That's just plain and simple. He does have Frank Wright, who we can start the credit for a lot of Carson Wentz success, but I just don't think that that is in the cards for the Colts. Now we're going to shift to my personal favorite game of the weekend, which would be the Arizona Cardinals and the New England Patriots. Again, this is not a division game, however. It's a little different of a shift, but it does matter in both divisions. Miami lost last week. Tua came back down to earth. And so when you have a situation like that, it opens the door ever so slightly for the New England Patriots to get back into the AFC East race. They are finally looking like they are going to be healthy. And they are finally looking like they are going to be a team that can be reckoned with out in the AFC East. Even though it could be too late for them, it is definitely worth an attempt at the crown for the New England Patriots. Now, as for the Arizona Cardinals, they have all the opportunity in the world in the NFC West being only a game back. Now, they do not have the tiebreaker over Seattle that they could have had had they uh, taken out the Seattle Seahawks the last time they played. However, they do have the ability to catch the LA Rams. And now it's just a mad dash sprint to the finish line for Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. This is by far the toughest division in football. They're going to have three teams in the playoffs because all three of them are going to make it the Cardinals, the Rams, and the Seahawks. And because of that point, it's a huge game. Again, you want to try to avoid being on the road as much as possible. You know as a division winner, you're no less than the third seed because the NFC East champions automatically the fourth seed at this point. And so you are going to try to get as high as you can in your division, win your division, and then you move on from there and host your first round playoff game. Now the biggest game of the weekend is Tampa Bay and Kansas City. This game is obviously the biggest game of the weekend when you look at everything that it could encompass. This was a lot of people's preseason Super Bowl predictions. You've got Tom Brady, you've got Patrick Mahomes, you've got two highly capable offenses. You've also got two highly capable defenses when they are playing at their best. So it is not a promise that either one of them will be scoring 35 points. It's not a promise that either one of them won't score 40. And so this is going to be a huge game. It's going to be a ratings monster. It is in the second slot. I assume if it's a CBS game, Tony Romo will be there. It is going to be a spectacular show. I cannot wait for it to see two offenses designed at getting big chunk plays in some way or another try to get it done. Brady has not lost two games in a row all season. He seems to respond well to Bruce Arians' public criticism of him whenever Bruce Arians decides to do it. And the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes has only thrown two interceptions. Both of them happen to be against the Raiders. I don't think he's looking to throw any more interceptions the rest of the season. And so we're going to be watching that QB duel for the fourth time between Mahomes and Brady, with Brady holding the 2-1 lead in the season series. And lastly, we're going to talk about Chicago and Green Bay. Now, again, this is one of those huge division games because of Minnesota losing, it kind of ends Minnesota's ability to catch either Chicago or Green Bay for the division lead when the Vikings lost to the Cowboys. Now, this ain't over. 
a couple of bad losses by Chicago or Green Bay, and Minnesota gets right back in this. And then you have those two playing each other this week. Mitchell Trubisky is starting again for the Chicago Bears due to injuries to Nick Foles. And so when watching over that, you've got Aaron Rodgers, who's going to be playing with the ailing Devontae Adams and a team that hasn't really gotten used to running the ball. The defense seemed to be all over the place. And uh, the Chicago Bears have a great defense, so they can get Trubisky to score them 20, 24 points. That may be all they need. Now, normally all you need versus Aaron Rodgers' team, but the Packers are struggling to play defense, so it may cancel out Mitchell Trubisky's appeared ineptitude. But up next, after a very long-winded segment, up next we're going to talk about Jack's Pack, which is our NFL betting segment. Uh, welcome back in. And we're going to stick with the NFL theme. And now we're going to talk about Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. Good news, guys. We won a game last week. We did not go 0-5. Bad news, we only won one game, so we went 1-4, bringing our total record to 22-30-3. Look, this has been a rough year for everybody. I don't think I've listened to anybody that said they're above 500 this year. COVID is just really throwing everybody off. The lines are off. The lines are usually not this tricky. And so it has been a rough year for everybody. But I feel great about my numbers this week. Usually when I do this process, I immediately three numbers jump out at me. Boom. And then I kind of have to, okay, I can do that. I can pick a number on that side. Or In terms of that fifth one is really rough. And usually it's something I just have to grab out of the air and pick a side on it. But this week, the five numbers came boom, 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 boom. They were immediately. And so hopefully this will be a great week for us. But let's get started. First, we're going to go with the Giants versus Cincinnati. Cincinnati's plus six. Like it. I love it. Go with the Giants on that one. Look, the Bengals have no Joe Burrow. I think they might only score 14 points. If that, they might end up with nine points off all field goals. That Giants team knowing that they can be in first place Monday night. If the Eagles lose, they're going to come out, suffocate the Bengals without Joe Burrow, and they're going to win that game fairly comfortably. Go with the Giants. The next game is Raiders versus Falcons. Falcons plus three. Falcons are only plus three because they are getting the home field advantage. Look, the Raiders lost last week. They probably have a sour taste in their mouth. John Gruden knows he's going to have to keep pace in a loaded AFC, especially with several teams second place being 7-3 or 6-4. So he knows that, and they're going to come out, and they're going to take care of the Falcons, winning that game by at least four points. Next, we're going to go with Cardinals versus Patriots. Patriots are getting a single point. Go with the Cardinals. I picked the Cardinals to flat out win this game. And if it was three and a half, four Patriots, I would probably go with the Patriots there. We have the Cardinals going to win this game close. Uh, Bill Belichick doesn't do great with scrambling quarterbacks. And yes, you'll have to find Gilmore back. But who's going to guard Christian Kirk? Larry Fitzgerald will not play due to COVID. But then they'll just sub in Andy, Andy Isabella. It is going to be a big week, I think, for the Cardinals offense against a team in the Patriots not known for speed. Now, J.C. Jackson has been playing well for the Patriots, and the Cardinals do not have the best defense on the planet. 
especially against the run, which the Patriots will want to do after not being able to run a lot against the Texans. But I just think that the Cardinals are going to win that game. I think that Kyle's going to make one or two plays that Belichick's defense couldn't account for. And that is flat out how the Arizona Cardinals are going to win. So take the Cardinals in that game. Browns versus Jags. Jags are plus seven. Go with the Jags. I think the Browns are going to win the football game and improve to eight and three. But the Browns style of having to play everything closely is going to backfire against them in terms of the spread. They're going to win the game. They're probably about three or four points. But with no Miles Garrett again this week, and then Baker Mayfield is all but a backseat driver at this point, not really making a strong impact on the game every week. I mean, I think he just passed Dak Prescott in passing yards. It is going to be a situation where the Jags will lose the game, but they will lose it closer than seven points. They'll go with the Jags. And lastly, Dolphins and Jets. Like it. I absolutely love it. This could be my lock of the week. It is Dolphins versus Jets. Jets are getting seven points. Take the Dolphins. Look, I know what two is made of. I watched some Alabama. He doesn't like to get benched or embarrassed. He's going to come out gunning. That Jets team being officially eliminated from the playoffs may have lost the will to compete and lost the will to fight. And so with that being said, I have got the Dolphins winning that game big. And so just to recap, I've got Giants over Cincinnati, Raiders over Falcons, Cardinals over Patriots, Jags over Browns, and Dolphins over Jets in terms of the point spread. Now up next, we will be jumping to the NBA offseason to touch on what's going down there. Alright everybody and welcome back in and now we're going to talk about the NBA offseason. Now was just recently announced was that the NBA preseason will be from December 11th to December 19th. The NBA's goal is to do as close to the markets being close to each other as possible. So they don't want LA traveling across country to Brooklyn or they don't want, you know, Brooklyn having to go to Miami and stuff like that. So you're going to try and keep the guys as close as they possibly can. So you'll see a lot of intra-conference matchups, intra-division, possibly even preseason matchups to try and limit the amount of travel and things of that nature. But going back to the offseason and the acquisitions, the Atlanta Hawks did, in my opinion, the biggest improvement of the offseason. They signed in the Legalinari. They signed Rajon Rondo. They signed Bogdan Bogdanovich after the Bucks decided to not pursue that any further. And so he ultimately lands on the Atlanta Hawks with a four-year, $72 million deal. So that was huge for the Hawks to get. Like I said, they already signed Rondo and they got the Nova Gallinari. So Atlanta will now no longer just be a Trey Young high-scoring Atlanta sideshow. They've got a legit basketball team in Atlanta. Do I think they're a championship contender? No, not at all. Do I think that they can make some noise in the playoffs, especially in the regular season? You are not going to want to see Atlanta on the second out of a back-to-back on a random Tuesday or anything like that because they might score 130 points on you. You know Trey is good for 30. You know the middle guy on our good 15 to 20. You know what Bogdan can do, especially getting open jumpers. Clint Capella still running around there. Rajon Rondo is going to be downing people all over the floor. 
So it's going to be huge for the Atlanta Hawks and their ability to score the basketball, adding all of those key talented players. As for the Bucks, I think the Bucks were the biggest losers this offseason. You didn't get a signed commitment yet from Giannis. I know you offered it. You had to have offered it on the first possible millisecond you can offer it. You offered it. But there's a reason he's waiting. He's waiting because he's trying to see what else can you do to put the best possible basketball team around him to try and pull Milwaukee out of the basketball doldrums. Well, Milwaukee, you failed. Your big chip was Bogdan. He's a hawk. You traded your future draft capital away for Drew Holiday. Nice, but not great. Not a definitive East title favorite. You haven't signed him yet. And now you've got guys like Anthony Davis, according to Brian Windhorst, who's waiting to see if Giannis is going to accept it or decline it. If he declines it, AD signs a one plus one, and then him and LeBron go on the ultimate recruiting pitch to pull Giannis to the Lakers. You do realize that Giannis Antetokounmpo could walk out of the door for nothing. And all you would have gotten to go into your future with is Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. You're back to the years right after Kareem where you were solid, but nobody really cared because your superstar was in LA. This could oddly be the same thing. I'm sorry, Milwaukee, but it looks like you're going to lose Giannis for nothing. Effectively, you would have traded Giannis in a three-team deal with the Pelicans to the Lakers for a whole lot of draft picks. And it's just not going to be a good situation for the Bucks at all. It would elevate Giannis immediately into the championship discussion every year, make the Lakers the outright favorite every year, and definitely tip the balance of scales so far, similar to when the Warriors added Kevin Durant. It was over that first year. So that'll definitely be something to watch. Speaking of L.A., Speaking of tipping scales, you know the scales of power between the Clippers and the Lakers were leaning Lakers? They're really Lakers now. They had an amazing week. The only reason why I didn't call them the winners of the offseason, of the team that got better, the, the most improvement on their roster, is because they were champs. So they're just more definitive championship favorites. They added Montrezl Harrell. They added Dennis Schroeder. You add Wesley Matthews. You add Mark Gasol. So if you look at a 10-man combination of LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Marcus Gasol, Montrez Harrell, Wesley Matthews, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Kyle Kuzma, Taylor Horton-Tucker. You still got Casas Antetokounmpo. I'm sure I'm missing somebody. I mean, they've got two starting lineups at this point. Alex Caruso, that's the best team in basketball, and it's not relatively close. The Clippers, you lost Montrez, and you added Serge Ibaka. Pretty much the same player at this point in their career. Ibaka with the better shot. Montrez is a more aggressive player at this point in their careers. Ibaka is a better defender in terms of blocking shots. But then you see a situation like where how Montrez is six man of the year or reigning six man of the year. So him off the bench is a little bit more of a producer. Neither one of them can guard Jokic, so what does it matter? You swapped out Landry Shamit for Luke Kennard. Okay, what does that do for you? You still don't have a point guard. You still don't have anybody that can run the show. The Clippers basically lost the offseason. They didn't do anything. But sit there and effectively stand pat and hire a new coach. 
So that'll be something interesting to watch if the Clippers were to try and adjust and try and pull a point guard out of the hat in these last few days of the offseason before NBA preseason starts. But up next, we'll be shifting to the NCAA versus COVID. Alrighty guys and welcome back and not only welcome back to you guys after that short break but welcome back to college basketball it is roaring back some preseason tournaments have started we've seen schools like LSU Gonzaga Kansas already back on the floor showcasing their new talent and their new basketball teams including some talented freshmen for the LSU squad but college basketball is back look there is not gonna be pretty but it's not going to be a situation where, like college football, we just seen a massive rescheduling for the SEC, moving LSU Alabama to next weekend, kicking out LSU Ole Miss, which they're going to move that to the same day as the conference championship game. The reason why they can move it as a conference championship game day is because neither one of those teams are going to make the conference championship game. Alabama has the West all but officially locked up. And neither neither LSU nor Ole Miss can win the West. Therefore, they cannot be in the SEC title game, even if LSU were to beat Alabama next week. College basketball is a little easier. Here's why. You have the ability to play games any day of the week. College basketball, college football is a one day a week situation. In theory, you can play four college basketball games in a week. You move it. You just find out when two guys, when's the first date both of you have open. That's not a back to back. Oh, look, it's Wednesday the 25th. We're going to play Wednesday the 25th. Oh, look, it's Thursday the 12th. We're going to play Thursday the 12th. If it's a non-conference game, you can just flat out cancel it. If it's a conference game, you just move it around the schedule to whenever you don't play a back to back. And so it will not be pretty. There will be positive tests. However, I think the NCAA has the ability to be more flexible and more lenient in terms of college basketball because, again, you can play college basketball games pretty much whenever, whether they don't have a rule or a de facto rule of only one game a week. And so because of that, I think college basketball has a very good chance of finishing their season. Again, you know, the NCAA tournament has discussed going into a bubble, a full-time bubble during all rounds of the NCAA tournament. I disagree with this. Like I said before, I think they should do a partial bubble. Fly everyone in on Thursday, test like crazy, play games on Friday, you lose, you're out. If you win, you keep getting tested like crazy, you play Sunday or Monday, you fly back home. And repeat for next weekend if you if you win both round games. You fly in on Thursday, test like crazy, play Friday, you lose, you're out. And so on and so forth. And you should, I mean, you're going to have a positive test or two. But you should be able to get through the NCAA tournament and crown a champion, unlike last season when we didn't know how to handle the coronavirus by any means, shape, form, or fashion. Now, moving on to college football. They are battling through. It seems that they are getting a better handle on it. When you have a team like Ohio State, whose head coach suffered from COVID, who has experienced the downsides of COVID, who is currently under COVID watch. You have, that was your first really, second really big coach this week 
to get COVID because Nick Saban tested positive down at Alabama, which is his second positive test, but his first confirmed positive because this time he is facing symptoms. The last time was indeed a false positive. But the SEC is plunging through. They are battling through. The Big Ten probably following the SEC lead and they're going to battle through as well, barring a mass catastrophe of some sort. So with that being said, I have hope that we'll crown a college basketball and a college football champion this season. And because of which, thank you to the NCAA for doing their best to get their act together and to get college sports played this season. But up next, we are going to shift to our best for last, which will be just a small segment about a Thanksgiving holiday. Hello everyone and we are back with our best for last segment which this week is going to be about Thanksgiving. I just want to say what I'm thankful for. You know, uh, Honestly I'm thankful for in terms of the sports world. I'm thankful for the fact that we got two NFL football games on Thursday. College basketball was played on Thursday. You have the NFL, the NBA is roaring back up. It's going to be this cornucopia of sports that will feel normal again. Because I'm used to three sports at once. I am. I'm used to college basketball, NBA, college football, NFL, all at one time. And we're going to have this cornucopia of sports back, to use a Thanksgiving term. We're going to have this amazing sensation of sports all over the place. And I cannot wait to experience that once again. And I just want to thank everyone, all the leagues, the commissioners, the presidents, the coaches, the players for doing their best to make sure that this season and these seasons do happen, that we have a television product and that I continue to have content for my show. And so with that being said, I will be signing out. This is your host, Justin Jackson. And this is a great episode of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. Remember, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify and follow the Twitter at JTimeSports for any breaking news and updates. Now, I hope you guys have a great day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.